Thomas Toth has taken the world by storm in the past year and a half. It was in last year's Houston Half Marathon that the then 24-year-old runner of Lakefield, Ontario, made a name for himself, going on to take the Half Marathon National title in Calgary that spring. He also qualified in November and raced this year at the Cross Country World Championships in Uganda in the Maple Leaf Singlet, and most recently, he ran a World Championship qualifying time of 218.58 in the Hamburg Marathon with a debut that saw some very, very rocky conditions. This week on the Terminal Mile, we chat with Thomas Toth about his rise to the top. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the Terminal Mile. This is a Tracky Radio production. Uh, I barely know where to begin with this, uh, so let's begin with probably the most recent and biggest news. Um, how are you liking Germany this time of year? Uh I love the culture and I love the people, but the weather was, it was tough. It was really tough. Getting on the starting line, we, we actually arrived on Thursday morning and I was following like a, a weather app. And every day leading up to the race, it's kind of getting worse and worse. And I had to follow in as far back as I could, pulling out like a farmer's almanac. <laughs> And it would just get worse and worse. And when we got there, the weather didn't seem too bad. And I checked the weather app. It says, okay, Sunday, it's going to be clear skies. It's going to be fairly calm, cool weather, no rain, nothing. So I go to sleep, wake up, and I'm eating breakfast. And I look, and it's like skull and crossbones. Sunday's just going to be horrific. I went hail. By the time we got to the technical meeting, mm-hmm. it was uh, the guy, Yuri, put on just a great event. It's my first marathon, and I would definitely go back to it. I'd love to experience Toronto and Ottawa as well. I hear Alan Brooks does a great, great job hosting those events. Mm-hmm. But Yuri put on a great event, and he's standing up in front of us all. He's got this thick... German accent, like every third word is yeah. <laughs> so he's going on, yeah, the weather on Sunday's going to be real tough, yeah. He's talking about how we need to stick together and the weather is just picking up, getting worse and worse, but don't worry, the last four kilometers you'll have the wind on your back. Hmm. I'm thinking like, okay, well, it doesn't be good the, the first 90% of the race. <laughs> But by the time we got to the starting line, like it was dark and it's, I'm having trouble getting signal with my GPS. And I got it just before the start of the, the race. And that's when the hail started. And it just, it's kind of demoralizing at that point, but you just have to tough through it. But fortunately, I was able to those squeak under the standard by, you know, 120 seconds or by two seconds rather. Mm-hmm. For uh, for those who don't know, uh, Thomas ran the uh, ran the marathon over there. He uh, he ran a fantastic two eighteen fifty eight. Correct me if I'm wrong there, um, yeah. but I believe you you had some problems with with your bottles and stuff like that. Did you not? Yes. Um, unfortunately, when I got to the first aid station, I was looking for my bottle. My wife had taken lacrosse, 
like the, the tape you use on your lacrosse stick. Mm-hmm. You grab this pink tape, you wrap up the bottle because we knew it might, it might rain. Um, so we were thinking maybe it would help with gripping, but more importantly, it would just stick out. And I don't see my bottle anywhere. Ooh. Two guys in front of me start saying, hey, I didn't have my bottle, I didn't have my bottle, and they're yelling at the people on the side. And that's when I realized something's kind of amiss. Okay, my bottle definitely wasn't there. And we hit the second one, still not there. So I'm starting to grab these little cups that have of water, but they're only filled up like a third of the way. Mm-hmm. So when I grab the first one, it's got this big open neck and it just shot down my lungs and I'm starting to get that drowning feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's just killing my, my strength. I'm running as hard as I can at this point. I'm thinking, I'm going to be that sad sap who drowns on dry land. Like I, I'm choking. I'm looking around all these people. They don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm at. So eventually, after probably a kilometer, I get going again, and we get up to the next water station. I grab the cup, and I pinch it into, like, a funnel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever, when you were a kid, if you, like, played with the tap water, and then you put your thumb on the faucet, and it squirts really hard. Oh, I think everyone did, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did that, and it shot straight up my nose. <laughs> so I got this burning like nostril, my eyes are watering, I'm blowing snot rockets going down the street of Germany. And at this point, everything's kind of just like breaking down fluid-wise. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get whatever water I can, but I'm not getting anything with sugar or carbohydrates. So by the last 10 kilometers, I just had so many uh, misfortunes Mm -hmm. with the water, I just skipped the last two. Oh, did you, uh, did at you, that point you can feel it. Did you at least, uh, learn the German word for snot rocket? Do they have their own word for that? No, but I think like the universal sign is just when you put your finger on your nose, <laughs> go really hard. Like everyone knows that mm-hmm. they're looking at you funny. Like there's these little kids on the side and you're just hucking away. I think they knew what was going on. <laughs> they just didn't want to admit it. So, you know, this is definitely less than optimal conditions. Uh, I have to know what, you know, what was the goal time going in? Did you have something in mind? Obviously it wasn't, yeah, you know what? I think I can go two seconds under. I mean, one's cutting a little bit close, but two should give me a nice cushion at a time. Like what, what was your thought going in? How far under did you want to be? I wanted to be as far under as possible, obviously. Mm-hmm. I really thought 215, 216 was... Uh, within reach and I think without the heavy hail and the winds and with some proper fluid I think that would have been more obtainable but I had this running kind of I'm at the track and I finished the workout and this coach at the high school in the area came up and started talking and he asked me like what my goal was and I explained I think you know if I can get somewhere in 215 216 area be okay, but my biggest fear would be if I ran 218.59. Mm-hmm. I said I'd be under the standard, but and then of course I go and I run two seconds under the standard. <laughs> the last you know, two, three hundred meters were just the worst feeling possible. 
mm-hmm. knowing I'm either going to just miss it or just be under. Mm-hmm. That's kind of not a position anyone wants to be in. No, for sure. I, I remember when I did my marathon, you know, it was 42 kilometers is, is such a long time to think. And I just remember, you know, looking at my watch and it's okay, if I continue on this pace, I can get this time. Um, you know, like when did you, when did you start doing that? When did you start, you know, looking at your watch and maybe start calculating it out? Or, you know, did you just completely get that out of your head and just say, you know, I'm going to run as fast as I can until the end? It's like so funny because I've never worn a watch in a race my entire life. Like never. Mm-hmm. And the night before the race, I text my coach and I say, hey, should I wear a watch? He was like, yeah, that'd probably be a, like a smart move. So I like, charged my watch. And like I said, I didn't get signals till right before the start. And after a while, like you said, you have two hours um, of just your brain trying to comprehend what's going on. I'm starting to do the math. And by eight kilometers, it's finally hit me like, okay, it's going to be down to the wire. And by 4K, I'd done the math and I'm like, at this pace, I'm probably going to run like 219.10. And if I came all the way over to the other run 219.10, I'm going to super pissed. (laughs) I'm starting to get frustrated and I'm like, ah. But I still, I just want to run as hard as I can. And then when I got to have this corner and then round the corner, and there's this big red carpet that you sent us off. I'm going as hard as possible, like just hauling. And I come around on this corner, and I can see the clock, everyone's screaming, and the carpet's wet. So I flipped on the carpet. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I just blew it right there. <laughs> it's going to be so embarrassing. When I crossed the finish line, my watch like beep, and I stop and I look and it says two eighteen fifty seven. But when I looked at the clock, it said two nineteen. Hmm. And I was just freaking out. I'm thinking, did I really just run two nineteen on the dot? <laughs> like anything would have put me over. Anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm running around, I'm trying to find my wife, and she's like up in the crowd, like up in this little grandstand. She comes down, I'm like, what did I run? She didn't stop her watch. So still running. Mm-hmm. So she finds the people running the clock, and she like elbows her way through, and I can see her like negotiating. She comes over with the paper and shows me 218.58. Oh. And it was a very uh, uncomfortable couple minutes. So, I mean, like, this is this was your debut marathon, and, you know, the debut marathon is, is such a hard thing to, to really get right, uh, you know, with, with pacing. I mean, what was the biggest lesson for you, uh, you know, in the lead-up to and in the running of, of your first marathon? Do you have any lessons that you can take forward to uh, running future marathons, hopefully maybe in London? I think the whole thing was just such a, a great eye-opening experience. My favorite workouts are always long runs and long tempos. Hmm. But like you said, 42 columns is so long. And when I first got into college, I'd always say the same thing. Like, I'd never do a marathon. Marathons are boring. And 
then I realized, like, on the track, I got dropped pretty hard at, at the bell, and these guys are closing in low to mid-50s. So my, my best goal is the marathon, and I cannot overemphasize how much it can hurt. <laughs> the half marathon last year in Houston was my first half marathon. I finished, and I was like, that I was uncomfortable, but it wasn't too bad. So mm-hmm. marathon's probably going to be like a little worse. <laughs> and by the time you hit kilometer 35, you're starting to think, like, I probably should have just played coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, I might have a couple concussions, but at least my quads wouldn't be falling off you know, my finger. Mm-hmm. So the pain is something I'll never, never forget. And it's something I think the fluid would help with. And being able to get fluid and having that set up a little bit better would definitely be something I hope is in place for my next marathon. And as for pacing, um, going out so conservative is definitely a different kind of experience. Especially when you go from running, I just run worlds and knack and you go out and everyone's blazing the first 400 meters and then you go to a race where everyone's kind of you're going 515 through the first mile mm-hmm. so I, I would say nutrition is definitely the top thing so part of part of qualifying for uh, the world championships, uh, part of that is not only running that race, but also to run a championship race uh, after this. I believe the the three races are you can run in, in Calgary, uh, you can run in Ottawa, or you can run on the track in Guelph. So I'm I'm kind of wondering have have you looked that far ahead yet? Uh, I mean, like what race are you targeting? That um, we haven't locked anything down we're still kind of talking about it um i'm not sure what i would do uh, i think the half marathon i'd love to defend my title in calgary but recovering is just such a hard thing to do and to go out and not just run one of these races but to, to try and perform so i'll probably try and run a 10k mm-hmm well, when I know, uh, I'm not really sure, but I haven't been on a track in a while, so we'll probably be on the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in January, Athletics Canada, uh, just as a refresher, uh, you know, they they took their their marathon standard for the World Championships this year. They kind of revamped it, um, you know, and softened uh softened it out to uh 219 uh the standard out to 219 for the men uh as long as you're one of the fastest guys there uh under 219 then i believe i believe there also is a committee that it has to go before and all that sort of stuff i want to know you know how much did that revision uh affect your decision to to go after the standard this year oddly enough um not at all after last year having a half marathon, Houston and in Calgary, I decided for better or for worse, I just want to see kind of what the marathon's like and try and tame that beast. 
obviously no one really teams it, but at least get a sense of how hard it hit. Mm-hmm. And then this fall, the big question was, do I do cross country or do I try marathon in Toronto? Mm-hmm. And my big thing was I've always wanted to make a national team and cross country is something very close to me, how I got into the sport and it's my favorite event. So we decided to forego Toronto and run in Kingston, which I'm very, very happy I did. I love the experience of not only Kingston, but being on the national team with those guys. And Trevor actually asked me, we were stranded in this parking lot in the middle of Uganda waiting for this bus to come. And we're standing there and he asked me, you know, did 219 play any role? I said, no, and that's why I want to run as far under 219 as possible so that people don't think, oh, he, he saw the standard and kind of hopped in out last second. I want to try and prove that I wasn't just put on a team hmm. due to the fact the standard was softened. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have to know, do you know, do you have the bug now? You know, are you... Are you going to be running marathons in the future? I mean, you said it hurt, but I want to know, you know, are you going to be chasing that hurt again? I mean, as of right now, um, I am definitely wanting to do another. I just don't know when or where, um, how far away, but I'm definitely in the position right now that I'm just trying to build up get back into swing and it'll definitely be for a marathon. Um, I think it's just such a great event and there's so much hype that can be put a, put behind it. I don't know if you watched the break into attempt, but I think there's just like universal respect for the marathon. And anytime anyone finds out I run, the first question I get is how fast can you run a mile? Mm-hmm. Second question is, have you ever run Boston? Hmm. And I haven't run Boston, but I can now at least say I've run a marathon. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, oh, okay, you've run a marathon, so you are kind of like a runner. <laughs> Before, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I haven't run a marathon, so you're like, mm, not so good. Hmm. I'm like, ah. <laughs> you could tell them that you did like a, like a 5K marathon or something like that. Yeah, one of those. I hear that all the time. They're like, yeah, my uh, my sister, she ran the 5K marathon. <laughs> like, oh, that's good for her. Was it like 5K or marathon? It was the 5K marathon. Uh, I'm always so lost. I'm like, mm. <laughs> good for her, though. I'm like, congrats. Well, you know, you can you can go one step further and say, you know, you did it without without a fuel belt. Um, I don't think you yeah. ran with a visor. You know, like th- these are the sorts of, uh, yeah. No, I th- I th- I think you you earned your stripes now as a runner. I think we can we can call Thomas Toth a runner now. I think that's fair enough. Thank you. So I've moved up from like hobby jogger, <laughs> like runner status. I guess. I guess. <laughs> We'll, we'll see how the future plays out. <laughs> I uh, I do want to talk to you uh, about your training this winter. Uh, it found you in Kenya, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, how was that experience for you? Was it your first time going? Yeah, um, it was my first time, and it was 
eye-opening hmm. to say that now. Not only the culture, but just the training itself. I'd never done such a lengthy altitude descent. Hmm. And you get up there, and you have beautiful dirt roads everywhere. You get out, and I was with a Eves. Um, I think you've had him on the show before. Yeah, Eves Sikawabu. Yeah. So I was there with him, and you get up at 6 in the morning, you might eat some breakfast first, and then you go for a jog, and all these people kind of come out of nowhere to run with you. And then once you step on the track, you realize all these all these people can they slaughter you. It's a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. You do like a couple two mile repeats and you get dropped by fifteen guys you've never heard of, you've never met before. You watch them do these incredible workouts. And you realize the depth in Kenya in Kenya is just so huge. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have the opportunity to pursue it at a, a higher level, unfortunately. But it was a great experience for me to be able to do that and be able to train with ease was a great experience. Um, I hope to do it again sometime in the future. But I think it, it was definitely a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you, you already mentioned uh, you ran uh, a couple of international cross-country races with the uh, with the Maple Leaf Singlet uh, for Snack Axe, and then you went to Uganda, went in the IAAF uh, World Cross-Country Championships. Uh, you know, that, I believe, was your first national team to be upon. Uh, you know, how did that go for you, and, uh, and what did that experience kind of teach you? That was my first national team. And- when I was in high school, I always wanted to make one, mm-hmm. but I was nowhere near good enough. And every time I'd go to, like, I went to a couple of the national championships in Guelph mm. for cross-country, and I'd get on the starting line and be like, yeah, I can win this. And then 400 meters in, I'm like, I can get top 10. By 800 meters, I'm like, I can be top 50. Hmm. And then I was fighting for, like, 100th place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time I got the opportunity to represent Canada and it was a great experience. Um, unfortunately, where the marathon landed, just timing-wise, it was tough because I wasn't able to fully peak for either NACAC Worlds without affecting the marathon, which is our ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. So that was a little rough performance-wise, but the team experience was incredible because... You have a group of guys. I competed with Sammy, against Sammy a few times, uh, Houston in 2016, Calgary, Toronto. Humble Bragg, I was 3-0 and against this kid up until Kingston, hmm. where he put the Jets on me in like the last 50 meters. Hmm. And then he's been on a roll, so I think beating me gave him confidence. We'll, we'll see that. <laughs> um, and I'd met Trevor... We had dinner in Boston once, and then when I was in Calgary, we came down from his magic beanstalk, and <laughs> we hung out. And I, Nick Falker and Evan, they're both officer guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember them from high school, seeing Falker. He uh, got an awesome medal, and then Evan, embarrassingly enough, he was one of those guys I watched, like, 
all the time, and I'd be like, yeah, Evan, Evan's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to beat Evan, <laughs> even though he had no clue who I was. But everyone kind of left their ego mm-hmm. at home, because we, we've all had experience. Maybe uh, Jimmy Neutron over in Utah didn't get the memo quite. <laughs> but we all had such a great team camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And when we got to Florida, you're feeling each other out. You don't know who these people are, but it's a team atmosphere. It's just kind of tough to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But by the time Worlds came around, we were like, I'll never forget that experience. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, even if the race wasn't so great, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I'll always remember that. You know, uh, you made a couple points uh, just there now, and uh, I, sh- I should mention that uh, Jimmy Neutron, I, I believe you're referring to, to Rory Linkletter, uh, who yeah. actually was just on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, nice kid, but by far probably the, the youngest guy on that trip on the senior team, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> definitely the youngest. Little Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> Always checking his hair and like spoons and stuff. Like, go to eat, and he'd be like, can I borrow your spoon? <laughs> yeah, sure. And then he'd be, like, checking his hair. Oh, man. Um, I, I do want to mention, uh, you know, I, I believe I read something. Uh, it was in your hometown paper or something like that, and you were a self-described late bloomer. Is that something that you've uh, kind of learned to accept now? And, uh, you know, what has the last year been like? I mean, since Houston... Uh, that's when really the whole running community learned your name because you had that huge breakout race. Yeah, so I would definitely describe myself as a late bloomer. In high school, I wasn't one of those top guys. I made Asa, but I would always just go in with, you know, so much confidence like every every high schooler has and end up, you know, 40th or 50th. I watched guys like Evan. Mm-hmm. I said, embarrassingly enough, you know, I'd watch Evan, you know, and next year I'd be like, yeah, I can beat him, I can beat him. <laughs> and he'd have no clue who I am, and I'd watch him up at the top. But then I went to a small school in Oklahoma. It kind of nurtured my progression in a really healthy manner. And then by the time Houston came around, he decided, yeah, I really want to try it. I want to kind of hop in a half marathon, see what happens. And in 64-26, a lot of people don't know, I, I beat Sammy Jabril in that race. And we had Jabril, hmm. he got the rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, I think when people started to notice, or at least hear my name. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize. Like, I went. I did go to a small Division two school, where I was an all. I was an all American, mm-hmm. but I I didn't go to a CIS school, and I'm not one of the top uh, Canadians in NCAA, like Mike Cade or Justin Knight. Mm-hmm. So I think Houston was a big kind of big race for me just getting my name out there and then that helped me get into Calgary where I won 
uh, my first national title. Mm-hmm. So I think Houston just set me up and gave me a lot of confidence in my ability to help me meet uh, Trevor. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, he gave me kind of a rundown on a lot of the Canadian guys I didn't know of spending the last four years in the States. So I think Houston was just a big, big moment for me. And like I said, just a late bloomer. So I always tell kids in high school, okay, you might not win state or even make state, but, you know, you stick with it for a few more years and you never know what happens. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, I got to know what's, uh, what's next for you, you know, this fall, are you thinking, you know, of going, going back to Kingston and, uh, and maybe, uh, shooting for another big placing in the cross country championships? I'd love to. I actually talked to Clive Morgan. Mm -hmm. Um, he runs the the Kingston side of that Mm -hmm. and he emailed me just after the marathon and said he hopes to see me in Kingston. And at this point, I hadn't thought too much about it, but I do love cross country so much. I do think I'll be back in Kingston mm-hmm. this year. That was the main goal. That was the, the highlight of the fall. I don't know if it'll be that situation come next fall. There might be a marathon or something like that, but I'll definitely at least as of right now, I can say I, I do want to be back there. I think the atmosphere was great. It's a great course. It's really well run. And you have just any chance you can compete with the top guys in Canada is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, before this, and uh, we noted that you are actually sponsorless. Imagine that. Yeah. A man with, with the credentials of Thomas Toth but still not sponsored. Uh, if you could get, just give us a quick little sales pitch, tell us why uh, people need to be sending you shoes. Anyone, anyone can send you shoes. I don't think you. I don't think you're super picky. No. No, I mean, you attach like a multi-million dollar deal, and I'll look at it. Like I mean, <laughs> twist my arm a little. Um, no, I am sponsorless. Fortunately, I do have a supplement sponsor, ProMix Nutrition. Mm-hmm. I'll throw their name out there real quick and just say I'm really happy to work with them. They also have a sports psychologist and nutritionist who has helped me through the last couple months. Mm. So I do want to thank them and just the great products. But I don't have a shoe sponsor. And it's been a, a tough road in that aspect. Mm-hmm. I think we, we were talking about how a lot of companies they develop either from a shoe company or eventually have a large uh, shoe product, shoe line. Mm-hmm. But they, a lot of companies aren't willing to put the money back into the sport itself. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. As for myself, uh, I, I'm charming. You know, Evan thinks I'm cute. <laughs> but I think I'm on the upswing. I think there's so much potential. Mm-hmm. I do have a national title. I've run some respectable times on the road, and I think that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I do think there's so much more or less to go, and we have so many great guys on the road right now. Mm -hmm. I think this is a perfect time for companies to start jumping on them. And the only way we're going to see 
faster times and more medals at international meets is if we start investing in these athletes, giving them a reason to do this. When you look at some other countries that have 10 times the amount of athletes doing this full-time that a country like Canada does, mm-hmm. I think this is one of the ways we can kind of start competing with some of these countries is if we, you know, invest in... Of course, I'd love to have a, a shoe company, so we'll open up the lines and we'll have like a little donation. <laughs> yeah, call in the next thirty minutes, and uh, I don't know, Thomas. Thomas will uh, will drop a pizza off at your place or something like that. It, oh, it'll be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll we'll have the first Terminal Mile sponsored runner. Everyone just send shoes to Thomas. Just do Here it. There we go. <laughs> just wh- whatever I'll you have. Just fifty-five pairs of Crocs. <laughs> you would be so lucky. You would be so lucky. I would think. He is. Yeah. Uh, he is Thomas Toth. He's. Uh, he's having a hard time walking right now. Not just because he ran a marathon, but because he has a massive amount of horseshoes up his butt. He. Uh, oh. He ran just two seconds under that world qualifying standard. Uh, we're really cheering for you, man. I really hope that uh, that you get to go. I mean, those were some really, really harsh conditions, and you were still able to to pull it out and and, and get it. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for for being on the show. Uh, the way it was definitely worth it, man. Thank you very much for having me. Any any time, definitely great to see you. Uh, not only a podcast, but there's not a lot of uh, opportunities for athletes to really talk openly. And you provide that, so thank you very much. Oh, thanks a lot, man. It uh, it means a lot. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guest this week, Thomas Toth, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at the Terminal Mile. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs> <laughs>